With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into another episode of the Hang Time Podcast. Aku Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. And we have another wild Wednesday in the books around the NBA. Steph Curry dropping 51 points in 31 minutes. 31 minutes on the Wizards. That comes on the heels of a 50-point performance for Blake Griffin and scoring up all around the league. Somebody better call Draymond Green and let him know the defense is no longer a priority in the NBA. Shu, how you doing, man? I am good. Ready for... Uh... Uh, big football game tonight, but I am <laughs> I am happy to have absorbed what has been a um, wild first. Was it nine days in the league? Yes, yeah, it's been great. It's been great, and uh, yeah, we're not we're not going to talk Virginia Tech football <laughs> on this podcast. All right, we we'd be here all day. But later on, we're going to be joined by Anthony Slater of the Athletic to talk a little bit more about Steph Curry's crazy night and his hot start to the season, the Warriors, and everything. That going on. But before we do that, Shu, there was a lot of action around the league last night. Some injuries that kind of scared some people in different places. Some outstanding performances, again, that went on. I, I gotta admit, Wednesday nights are my favorite. Not only do I get a chance to sit on the desk and, and hang around the studio on uh, Game Time and Crunch Time on NBA TV with Dennis Scott and Matt Weiner, Rick Kamler, Jerry Greenberg, Wes Wilcox, former uh, GM of the Atlanta Hawks, was in with us last night, Shu. But we get to watch all the games. I mean, we've got screens everywhere, so we're eyeballing and all this action that's going on, I'm stunned at at how well Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks are playing, and and just how different they look. What stood out to you, canvassing the league last night, you and watching all those games? Well, I can't do the whole watch ten time thing, <laughs> so I uh, was focused on first Atlanta and Dallas for the Luka Doncic uh, Trey Young Bowl one. Yeah, yeah. Um, huge comeback by the Hawks. It was crazy. Like I, the, the I forget much Dallas was up, but they were up by a lot in the early second quarter. And I was ready to, you know, have this great point about how Dallas just is a little bit more experienced and and was just executing so much better, especially in pick and roll. And right, because both teams were playing each other sort of the same as far as pick and roll coverage. And the Mavs just ha- were were chewing up the Hawks a little bit just with their sort of even their rookies have more experience. Like you know Doncic yeah. and uh, Jalen uh, is it Br- Brunson, right? Brunson, yeah, from Bill yeah, I mean, he, exactly. yeah, they. they those are experienced rookies sort of, right? You know, and they, and, and, but then the Hawks just came back with, with a ton of energy and they did it with Trey Young off the floor. Really DeAndre Bembry had a a terrific game, just brought a ton of energy and, and they just sort of overwhelmed the Mavs in the sort of latter part of the second quarter. And then again, uh, in the second half, Young dealt with foul trouble in the first half, struggled quite a bit. Doncic was after a hot start. He had his, his sort of patented step back three, but also just really good at dealing with that sort of drop pick and roll coverage where the big man just sort of sat into the paint he can he's good at those sort of mid-range to to floater shots and and was you know 
it was off to a really hot start. But then, you know, Trey Young really rebounded in the second half and made some huge plays down the stretch. One spin move on Dennis Smith Jr. Shook him up, and then put him in the blender and everything. Shook him up, but then also finished through contact on that play, which was just uh, fantastic. And so he came through down the stretch. It was Doncic early, Trey Young late. And I'm impressed. Like, I I wasn't sure what to think of Trey Young. The one thing I like about him is he's getting to the basket. You know, he's not just – he's like – Not just a gunner. He's like – you know, the one thing I always say about the Warriors is, one, they're just a great shooting team, but they leverage their shooting to get layups. You know, like they take advantage of teams trying to get them off the three-point line and they just get better shots, you know, be a passing or just, you know, Steph with the little hezzy move that gets a guy off his feet and then and and then gets to the cup. And Steph, is, is, as the years have gone by, has become a much better finisher at the rim. And I, I assume the same will happen with Trey Young. But I like that. Like, I watched, watched a little bit of his game against Cleveland the other day, and he was just blowing by the Cavs defenders. Now, that's something to say about Cleveland. They look absolutely yeah, awful. Atrocious. Yeah, they looked absolutely awful early in the season. But I like him getting into the basket, getting into the paint. He he's averaging like seven and a half points per in the paint per game, which is tied for his, the the lead the lead on the Hawks. So it's not just about him shooting threes. And obviously, his his passing is fantastic. There was one pass last night, which is one of my favorite passes of the season so far, where Torian Prince was running up the left sideline, and Trey Young was in the backcourt, maybe ten feet in the backcourt, and throws a dart at Torian Prince. And when the pass was in the air. Torian Prince wasn't even looking at it. He was just running down the sideline with his head forward. And then all of a sudden, he turns his head and the ball is two feet from his hands. And he makes a great catch and then a quick in-rhythm corner three. But it was just great vision. Like, he's not the kind of point guard that's just looking to make every play and, and get the assists, you know, after handling the ball. Like, I like that. You know, we've seen this in Lonzo Ball that he's he, he's willing to push the ball ahead, knowing that one, you know, shots early in the clock are usually good, but against a, a, a defense that isn't set yet, a pass like that now gets the defense scrambling and and can really op- can open some things up. But just to see that that pass and to 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 have the uh, the guts to throw it when the when the guy isn't even looking was something I, that I loved. You know, I love seeing that kind of thing. So I'm quickly becoming a Trey Young fan. Yeah, he's. I mean, I think people for get that you know when these guys are coming up they play high level basketball grassroots basketball he was the point guard on uh, the Mo Can Elite travel team with Michael Porter Jonte Porter he's played with other elite level guys you know he didn't just spend one year at Oklahoma and that's the only time he's ever played with you know high caliber players so he's he's had plenty of experience running a team knowing how to get his shots get what he wants it's funny the rookies uh, so many of the rookies are standing out early on this year shoot that almost feel like we're, we're overlooking or not overlooking but maybe not focusing as much on some of the vets um, the Lakers got their first win last night put it on Phoenix and uh, LeBron is still shepherding these young guys along he looks different to me his first couple games LeBron looked like he was kind of measuring himself now he looks like he's he's kind of getting back into the normal LeBron lather we're used to one team shoe that didn't perform up to its expectations Wednesday night and it has me concerned is the Houston Rockets lost James Harden to a soft tissue injury looks like a hamstring or something with no more hamstrings are going around there's like everybody there's a bunch of guys out with hamstring issues yeah I mean I don't 
you know, and the Rockets, I know most people look at them and say, oh, they're one and three, nothing to worry about, you know, based on what they did last year. I am con- I, I have concerns about the Rockets. They don't strike me as the same hungry, aggressive group that, that we saw last season from the start. I'm, I'm going to reserve the right to, to revisit my Rockets concerns if, if I look up in a few weeks and they still don't seem like they figured it out or if they continue to have to grapple with, you know, an injury to Harden. Um, no CP3, of course, because of the suspension. And, and Donovan Mitchell worked them for 38 last night. I'm officially on the concern bus where the Houston Rockets are at right now, four games into the season. I mean, it's, I'll just say this. It's just four games, but every game means something. Like, every game is a data point in the wor- great words of yes. the great Sam Hinkie. Trust the process. And, and, and so, like, we... We thought before the season there was reasons for concern, right? And four games is just four games, but it's at some point we're going to get to 10 games and to 20 games, and 20 games is when we really know. The one thing I'll say is last year, and I wrote this before the season in the part of the one team, one stat series, is they set a record basically for isolation efficiency. They led the league in the percentage of their possessions that were isolations, and then they basically set a record in the 14 years that Synergy Sports has been tracking play types. The 1.12 points per possession that the Rock scored on isolations was by far the best mark like no other team before last season had even scored a point per possession on isolations according to synergy and part of that is they have two great isolation scores james harden chris paul all both terrific and and great passers too so they can break down a guy on isolation and get a, an assist and they had good shooters around them right but part of me is like okay but how sustainable is that number considering it, it was by far the best mark of the last 14 years. Can right. they repeat that with one, Paul getting a little bit older and two, maybe that's just not sustainable. And so maybe they've got to find other ways to be better. And I think the defense has taken a step backward. Michael Carter Williams is killing their offense when he's on the floor. And, you know, you yeah, James Ennis was hurt last night. Right. And so it's like, okay, now Mark Michael Carter Williams in the starting small forward. And you're like, Oh, okay. So they really do miss Trevor Ariza. I know he hasn't shot particularly well in Phoenix yet but yeah it doesn't mean anything but like just the, just the, the respect that he gets from the perimeter means a lot because there was a possession last night where Carmelo was posted on Jay Crowder and you don't necessarily need to double that because Carmelo is probably going to shoot a mid-range shot and the the value on an attempt for that isn't great but Donovan Mitchell took off from the weak side corner where he was guarding Carter Williams and just said I'm going to go double this and yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have to worry about Carter and, Williams. And so Carter Williams has got to figure a way to be useful on this team. When they first signed him, I didn't, I wasn't sure that this was a, a Rockets kind of player, and I'm not sure he's going to last the season. And I think that's one thing we got to expect with the Rockets is that the team that they have now is not going to be the team that they have at the end of the season. Could be, could be. Which team you don't have to worry about being there at the issue. Golden State Warriors. We both know that. And so does our guest, Anthony Slater of The Athletic, joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Slater, I want to ask you a quick question. And I know, like the rest of us who cover the league, everybody wants to talk about whatever team you cover or you sit down in a barbershop, they want to talk about the Warriors. What do you realistically tell people about what it's like being around the Warriors on this run and what they're doing? Because I was thinking about that last night, watching Steph, and I was like, I wonder if the people that watch Steph night after night are comprehending exactly what we're seeing, just how historic 
how novel his game is. And that 51-point performance just drove that home for me last night. Yeah, I mean, it's strange because during the regular season the last few years, especially during, like, random home games, it can get duller than people would realize, especially in Oracle where it's just they're yeah. beating up another opponent. But any given night, something like last night, I mean, you're going in, it's against the Wizards. You're not, like, expecting that much. You're expecting <laughs> something similar to, you know, a couple days earlier when the Suns were in there. They pounded on pretty good, but there wasn't anything too crazy happening. But sometimes it's Clay going for 60 points in 29 minutes against the Pacers. Sometimes it's KD going for, you know, he's got 40 on like 15 shots or something. He's like 14 of 15 on crazy efficiency. Or it's Steph. I remember last year he had zero threes in a game against the Lakers. It was like the first time in 100-something games. I think it was the record. Uh, he had, you know, snapped. Then the next night they they come home, they play the Pelicans, and he sets the NBA record for threes in the game, 13 threes in a game. Uh, and then obviously what you saw last night, I mean, 11 threes. Right at this point of the season, he's got more threes than like four other NBA teams threes by themselves right now. So uh, it's just it, – it, it's crazy to see history uh, within a season that, you know, a lot of times, especially more than other teams in the league that, that have more interesting storylines, they're trying to find themselves. You know, Houston is trying to kind of reconfigure. LA's obviously going through what they're going through. The Warriors are so settled in what they do, but then suddenly you're sitting there and you're not expecting much and it's like, boom, history. And then also on the road, it's just, you're following the Beatles a lot of times. I mean, right. the, the road arenas have become more interesting than the home arenas because mm-hmm. there's just so many people that are just like, oh, like we're seeing them for the first time, whereas Oakland, they're, they're used to seeing it. But it's definitely a treat. I'm curious how you, you know, look at a team like that. You know, all these narratives floating around. I was arguing with, not arguing, I was debating kindly today on uh, Twitter this morning with Nick Wright and some other people, you know, who are kind of making this argument that Steph and KD have basically ruined each other's legacies because, you know, they're not going to win any more individual awards. Um, you know, they're both MVPs. You know, Steph with two, obviously, KD with one. But, like, they'll never win another MVP because they, they you know, on the same team now. And, they, and they've kind of ruined, you know, this – they've ruined basketball narrative, you know, that everybody likes to talk about. I'm on the other side of that, Anthony. I, I tend to think that history will be much kinder to the Warriors than, you know, the daily narrative is because we don't remember narratives 20 years later. We remember champions. We remember the team that was the best. You know, you don't you don't hang banners for narratives. You you hang banners for, for winning titles. And to me, that will be their lasting legacy more so than whatever the daily Twitter conversation is about these Warriors. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think if, if you look at Kevin Durant, he could have stayed in Oklahoma City and, you know, Twitter would tell you and, and whoever else would tell you that would have been better for his legacy. But what if he's sitting there without a ring still? And he's, th- you know, he's 30 years old right now right. Uh, he's kind of hitting that more downside in the mountain we would be saying a lot of stuff about Kevin Durant still being ringless and like you know how, how good is he really in the in the grand scheme of, of his legacy so the fact that he's got two titles two finals MVPs probably you know definitely the heavy favorite to get a third title uh, this season that's been kind of like a, obviously a huge uptick for his legacy I think he's learned to become a much better basketball player on the Warriors too even if he goes elsewhere after the season mm-hmm. just as an off-ball guy as a defender I mean the, the shot blocking that you know he's had since he's come to the Warriors I just think he's a lot better so that just helps him become you know you know have a better legacy I guess you could say uh, and then you know Steph Curry he's two MVP there's it's a short list of people in the league ever to get multiple MVPs. Right. Uh, will he get another one? I don't know, but I, I don't know that he necessarily needs one. What, what's the, what does Kobe have? One or no? Shaq has one MVP. Kobe and Shaq both only have one. Oh, they, they both only have <laughs> yeah. one. There you go. There's legends, greats that have less MVPs than Steph Curry already has. And that's not to say, 
say I'd say he's probably a favorite through five games. I mean, who cares? It's five games. <laughs> right. MVPs are still winnable for these guys. I mean, if Steph just has if Steph just stays healthy, if he just stayed healthy last year, I think he would have been in the MVP conversation. He just only was able to play fifty one games. So I think that's still obtainable. And then, as you said, I just think titles are the big thing. Steph Curry would be going, getting his fourth this year if, if they can win it. And, and history would look you know, down upon that great. And then as far as ruining the league, this was maybe one of the best opening weeks uh, of yeah. the NBA I can remember. Yeah. And, if, you know, we're not debating who's going to win the title or not. Yes, the Warriors are heavy favorites, but some of the stuff going on around the league, I mean, even Blake Griffin getting 50 points, like we're not sitting here going, are, they, are the Pistons now title favorites? It's still just great basketball. Going yeah. On. I agree. You know, last year we saw some slippage from this team in the regular season. Do you feel like this season feels any different? Are they more locked in, especially defensively early on? Do you feel like there's a little bit more purpose with this start of the season? Yeah, there's definitely more focus. I think last year they somewhat kind of like we were embarrassed with how little they care. I, you know, I think there's going to be patches during the season where they really kind of are dull. And I mean, if you look last year, they were four and three through seven games. And Steve Kerr, I remember in LA, they had just turned it over 25 times. And like a home loss to the Pistons. And the next night he was in there already talking about just how fried they were mentally. Already. And it was like, gee, seven games in. I think that China trip that they took to start the last season, they always kind of used that as a crutch. And he now says he believes he kind of like talked it into existence because he told the team so much <laughs> how tough it was going to be. So they've taken a different like tactic this year. You know, he says, no, we're just going to enjoy the process. I think they have more. Again, it's only five games. But I think the addition of DeMarcus Cousins, I know he hasn't played yet, but he's kind of coming on the backside. He's going to be kind of a turbo boost to this team. I think they're going to kind of live through him. A guy who's, you know, never been in the playoffs, never been in really a playoff chase before. So that'll help. And then also they just got a lot more young guys in the rotation that are trying to create NBA careers instead of, you know, the Zazas, the David West, who really were there to just kind of ring chase a bit and wait for the playoff time. So I just think they're set up for more regular season interest than last year. That leads me to like two more questions. One is, you know, we heard that Cousins is cleared for like parts of practice at this point. What's the sense that you get on his timeline realistically as far as when he might actually play in a game? Because it's hard to know from, you know, just being cleared to participate in some parts of practice this to know exactly what that means and then two with the young guys like what's the early returns on the Damian Jones the the loonies and the uh, Jordan Bells of the world as far as cousins they will not like set any type of expected oh we'll reevaluate him in three weeks plus they will not give like an actual like numeric like time value because they're just trying to be super careful with him I think he's ahead of their schedule I think they they'll definitely tell you that away from uh, recorders that you know he's he arrived I think in a better place than they thought they would he's in, he's in really good shape as far as like th- that was like a concern you know a big guy gets an Achilles tear possibly he'd get a little heavy and then the conditioning's like tough to get back they believe he's in pretty good conditioning but in Achilles is, it's so different than other injuries you obviously you you get the Achilles stable you get it healed but then you got to do so many balancing and different stuff around that and, and just because they have such an ability to allow him to heal without rushing him back you know if he was on what if he was on the Lakers, which I know is a team that you know probably should have looked at him and he was definitely interested in, they would be like already trying to like, all right, you know, how close are you, cousins? Because like they need him. They would need to get him going to get regular season wins. The Warriors obviously don't need that. So I would guess December, maybe late December, January area. I'm kind of putting the the over under mark or however you want to put it. Like, is it going to be in 2018 or is it going to be in 2019? <laughs> I'm guessing maybe late 2018. I think it definitely could. Like, they could if they really accelerated this thing and put it where most teams probably would if they were trying to rush him back. I think it could probably be like early December, but I think they'll wait 
a while and, it, and it'll be right around the new year and as far as the young guys Damian Jones he definitely passed his first test I mean Look, they started him at center. His first four games were Adams, Gobert, Jokic, and then DeAndre Ayton. All big dudes. You know, he played pretty well. He's just kind of that perfect fit around the four all-stars where you can just throw lobs. He's really in the JaVale McGee role from last year. See how he, how he is, especially getting targeted and pick and roll. He hasn't really faced that much. Still think defensively, he's a question mark. But he can do what JaVale McGee did, which is just catch, you know, open lobs and throw him down. Uh, Jordan Bell not playing nearly as much as expected uh, in year two. Uh, I, I think he's – they're using him really more in small ball matchups. I think there's a bit of disappointment about where he is right now. Kevon Looney, just pretty steady guy. Backup center can really guard uh, well, you know, switch and everything. So I, I think they're happy where those three centers are, especially with Cousins, who will be starting once he gets back. Right. It's interesting they've played Looney and, and Jones together a little bit. I remember seeing that, I guess it was opening night, and I was it surprised me. But I, I don't think it's hurt them at all. I think they've been able to, to do that. And I guess that allows, it puts a little bit less pressure on Draymond Green to play a ton of minutes, which is which is a good development, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. They've kind of had backup power forward issues uh, in the past, and they really kind of do this year too. But Urebko, I think, is going to get some backup forward. It, when it comes down to it, Kevin Durant's going to play a lot of uh, power forward if we're talking playoffs. Um, I don't think you're going to see a ton of two big lineups like a Looney Jones or a Looney Bell or even like a Looney Cousins come playoff time. But for now, they're just trying to save minutes for Draymond. They don't want to play as much Draymond small ball until they have to. Yeah, it makes sense. Warriors on the road Friday night in New York. It's on NBA TV at 7.30. Anthony, we look at this Warriors team, and, and we know the run they've been on the past four years is the most ridiculous run in NBA history if you just look at the wins and losses, winning three out of four titles. Everybody is curious. What's the first thing that falls off on this Warriors monster? Who leaves first, dude? you know, who hits free agency and decide to break this thing up. I'm stunned that they haven't gotten more fatigued yet. I don't know if it's just the way they were built. Outside of KD, they really were an organic bunch in terms of guys that were drafted and raised in that organization. Have you been surprised at all at how well they've weathered all of the things that could go wrong for a team on a historic run like this? I mean, if you just like know the personalities, it makes sense. I mean, I know it it might seem surprising, but just how genuine Steph can be uh, Mm -hmm. as far as like he, he can share the spotlight. He can bring Kevin Durant in and be okay with that. He's so secure in like his life, you know, and his. And I'm talking family life. I'm talking everything, and he's secure in knowing how much this fan base loves him. And then if you know Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson appreciates the fact that he can be as good as he is, but also not get the attention that he gets because he's just kind of like chilling. He doesn't like talking to the media really. You know, he's walking off the court after practice, and they'll be like, "Hey, Clay, they need you over here." He's like, "Come, you know, how about they get Steph? How about they get KD? You know." So it's just they just got a lucky personality in Clay, really, when you think about it. And then Draymond Green can be who Draymond is, and they allow that. And he gets appreciation for his defense, you know, on a lot of teams. And Draymond's very smart about this. He knows this, that if you put him tomorrow on, you know, whoever, put him on the Magic, he would not get nearly the attention he gets. He yeah. wouldn't be nearly really the player. He has to score more, sure, his points per game would go up, but he wouldn't be an all-star. Right. Uh, and he knows that. So, I mean, he, he kind of knows what this team and what this era has done to his brand, really. Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant. They brought him in. We'll see if he's happy, still happy here at the end of the year and he stays. But the Warriors have done all they ever promised to Kevin Durant, which was deliver him two titles, deliver him a stage to win two finals MVPs and, and 
bump that part of his resume up. So, I mean, I think they're all getting what they want out of it. Now, if they had lost to the Rockets in the West Finals last year, and they very well could have, it would have been interesting how this team handles yeah. a failure, but they haven't had to handle failure yet. So if you keep winning at the end of the day with these personalities, I think, you know, they can survive. Yeah. I know Clay, Clay definitely doesn't want to talk to the media when he's shooting four for 27 for um, from three-point range. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the amazing yeah. thing about a 4-1 start. They shoot, they're shoot. 4-1 and one with, with Thompson and Durant combined to shoot eight from 43. I don't care how bad Clay Thompson point. shoots at this time. I'm not worried about Clay. Oh, I'm not worried about it either. I just think I, I just know I remember seeing him in, at USA Basketball when he 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 was shooting. He he had a couple of poor shooting games to start the Olympics a couple of years ago, and like he just didn't want to talk about it. Like he, I remember we came up to him and he's just like, ah, I don't want uh, you know. He's just frustrated frustrated with himself and then obviously didn't want to have to talk about why I'm shooting poorly or, or anything like that. Yeah, he kind of pouts a little bit when he's in slumps, but um, he, you know, it's, it's crazy. He's his preseason, I think it was 16 to 29 from three. I mean, it was almost as good as I've ever seen him shoot. Remember, I don't know if you guys watched that Seattle game and when, when Cage yeah. came out in the Sean Kemp jersey. Yeah. He stole the show in that game. He scored, I think, 21 in the first quarter, hit like six first quarter threes. I thought, and I actually predicted before the season, hey, this I'm predicting Clay's going to have more made threes than Steph, and he's going to become the second person ever with 300 threes. Steph's obviously the, the only guy with 300, only guy with 400. Uh, it does not look good early. It's 33 to three Steph so far. <laughs> uh, it, you know, Steph has 33 threes. The rest of his the rest of his teammates, his 13 teammates, have 20 combined right now. That's unbelievable. Um, so it, it's been it's kind of been wild to watch early in the season. But as you guys know, Clay has these mini slumps, and then suddenly he'll you know have 13, you know, whatever, 10 threes, uh, you know, next game. And then suddenly he's, he's up, you know, 10 away from Steph uh, within a week. So he's just one of those guys that, you know, go through these funks and then suddenly just go nuclear for about a week. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things about Clay And his reluctance to uh, embrace the media is one of my fa- favorite things about him just in general, like in a league where every dude is worried about his brand, making sure he's, you know, tweeting and, on you know on his social media every five minutes, I appreciate Clay's disdain for attention. It's, it's a breath of fresh air. Shoe, do you have a a, a Schumann stat? Uh, we, I know we've talked a bunch of numbers today already, but you got to have something that that suits our conversation, Warriors related. Man. I do. So as you guys know, Steph Curry moved to fifth all time on three pointers made list last night, passing Jamal Crawford, who I assume while he's still playing will never catch Curry again. <laughs> He's got 2,162 three-pointers, and he's done that in 477 fewer games than anybody else in the top 10 in three-pointers made. So here's the question. Steph came in the league in 2009, so this is his 10th season. Who are the other four guys in the top five in three-pointers made since 2009? So in in the 10 years since Curry came into the league. Curry is number one with 2,162, which is exactly... 500 more than any other player since he came into the league. Who are you guessing this? Yeah, you sure. Definitely. I always need help. All right. Um, Clay, I think. Clay Clay is number number three at 1561. Kyle Korver? Kyle Korver, number five, 1377. 2009. Who else is a gunner? No, not Ray Allen. Who who shoots a ton of threes right now? What team, what star on what team? uh, Who about Bradley Beal? Nope, no Bradley Beal. James, what were you going to say? James Harden. James Harden. He's number two, 1,662. So he has 500 fewer than Curry 
since 2009. So number four is the toughest one. Has 1,423s since 2009. He's done it with two different teams, both Western Conference teams. Okay. Now a, he's a starter for a sort of team that finished near the bottom of the Western Conference last year. But he's been around. Ryan Anderson? Nope. Uh, uh, um, he's been on the same team for a few years. He signed a big contract with this team after suffering a bad injury with the, his previous team. He was in a game, uh, Sekou, you and I just talked about. He was in a game last night that you and I just talked about. Oh, gosh. Who are we talking about? Uh, it's not Wes Matthews. It is Wes uh, Matthews. Okay. He was the toughest one, I think. In this. You don't think of him. You don't yeah. think of him as a volume. Well, I guess he got him up in Portland. Yeah, you don't think of him as yeah as as a as a as a three point. He's not. Guy, but he's he, not that accurate, right? He gets him up. <laughs> Where, where's Damian Lillard on the list? Damian Lillard number ten. Okay. So Matthews is at at thirty eight percent, which is which is better than Harden. But Harden is obviously shooting a ton of his off the dribble and and step backs and stuff like that. Well, Matthews is more of a catch and shoot guy. So yeah, he's. He's at 38%. So the rest of the top 10 is those Reddick at six, Kyle Lowry, seven, J.R. Smith, eight, Kevin Durant, nine, Lillard, number 10. Hmm. I, I would have guessed Reddick was higher. I, would, I was going to say Reddick. But you know what? Reddick was coming off the bench, in, you know, with the Clippers. Ba- nah. yeah. He did it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. He should Yeah, he, he should be on that list. He should be. By the way, that four-point play the other day before Blake Griffin's game winner, that the skill it takes to come full sprint, take a handoff and launch basically in one motion with a guy contesting your shot and actually fouling you and drain that shot that he made. I, that, that was just like one of the, like it goes overlooked because Blake Griffin won the game on the next play, but that was one of the most unbelievable plays I've seen yeah, well, so far. It goes overlooked because Jamal Crawford does it every other night. So, Oh, not, not like that. Not, not like that taking a, a handoff off a full sprint and launching in one motion. That was incredible. These freedom of movement fouls seem to be helping a lot of guys like yeah. him. Yeah. J.J. Reddick's having a huge start to the year. It's like, uh, it's tough to guard him right now with the way the game's being called. It's tough to guard a lot of people. I'm looking around and I see these scores and, you know, teams in the in the high 90s with three minutes Crazy. left in the third quarter. I'm like, <laughs> somebody did something. Yeah. The game I covered last night, 144-122. Like, that's, <laughs> that used to, like – be once a season you'd right. see a score like that now it's like once a night you see a score yeah. like that. It's, it's playing into the to the hands of the way the game's being played right now as well so it's i mean we're going to see a, a great season in terms of scoring and just the offensive output for a lot of teams and it's already started i mean this first nine you know nine days or whatever the season's been crazy anthony i know you uh will be along for that ride with the warriors um, great stuff on the athletic check it out all the time make sure everybody else does check it out anthony slater appreciate you uh, taking some time and joining us know you got to hit the road get to the airport man that grind that season grind with the warriors that's that's got to you should get double miles for uh for, <laughs> for all that you got to deal with with the media on the road and everything else man so we appreciate you taking a few minutes yeah i'm only going to new york where uh, i'm sure the new york media won't really care that kevin Durant's in town so <laughs> i'll uh I'll, I'll see you, fellas. No doubt. I'll man. see you Thanks there. Appreciate I'll it. I'll see you man. there. Shoot. Thanks for the Schumann stat, as always. I, I need the guests to always uh, help out with the Schumann stat because it's too early in the morning for me to try and cheat and get on my computer and look up. You're going to give us a preview of your MVP uh, list for tomorrow. Do we have is, – is Blake Griffin cracking the top five? Is Blake Griffin number one? Actually, we've we've uh, jumped out, and we've kicked the list back 
to next week. Oh, we've, oh, we've decided yeah. that we're we're trying to manipulate this thing as best we can. And I'm I'm serious. We got the Raptors undefeated, the Bucks undefeated, Nuggets undefeated, Pistons undefeated, Pelicans undefeated. Every one of those teams has a legitimate guy you could throw up this short into the season for MVP. You know, Giannis has been outlandish AD has been crazy. Kawhi's playing great basketball. Steph Curry on a, on a team that's not undefeated has to be in that conversation. But yeah, Blake, Blake needs to be in there. Jokic needs to be in there. I you know, I have no idea how this thing will shape up by next Friday. I guarantee you my, my hate mail will be outstanding. It's going to be nasty because LeBron's going to be like 11 on, on the first MVP ladder of the season. So we'll see. I'm- but you got, uh, I've, I've said this before. But when you look at LeBron's MVP candidacy, mm-hmm. look to the East and the team he left. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and remember how and how much like I, I said it before. Like that's gonna. I'm I'm wondering if there will be voters that look to the looked at Cleveland and see how much they've fallen off. And right now they look like the worst team in the league. Right. There's no no doubt about not, it. Yeah, there's no doubt. No, about they it. look like they lost. To, they got killed by the Hawks and killed by the Nets. Like that tells you that they are the worst team in the league. And and so I think that's. I'll be curious as, if voters see that and say, "Well, you know." Okay, yeah. Because, Assu- assuming the Lakers, uh, assuming the Lakers, you know, rebound and say and, and make the playoffs at at six, seven, eight. Like, say if that happens, do, do, do voters also take into account how awful Cleveland is? Or maybe Cleveland rebounds, but yeah. right now they do not look. Good. They look terrible, and I think the only thing that will get in the way of that is the the great starts by some of these other guys. No, yeah. but. Seven, eight games into a season is much different than three and four games there. You know, we'll see who cools off, who, you know, who hits a spot where they're not playing out of their minds. I mean, Zach Levine's averaging 30 a game, too. I mean, this is a... I saw him in Philly. He looks real. I mean, he's real. I mean, he's... Yeah. It's, he's explosive. Yes. And he's comfortable shooting off the dribble, like shooting threes. He's got a really good form on his jumper. You know, he probably helped from... Uh, the absence of Chris Dunn might hurt him and just that he won't get as many opportunities off the catch. He's going to try to have to create a lot himself. But getting to the basket, he's been fantastic. Yeah. Like, he's... I am, you know, open my eyes to Zach Levine, at least on that end of the floor. Right, Chicago has issues on the other end. Yeah, of the floor, I mean, but. and they don't. Lie Marker's not even out there, so I mean, they're yeah. You know, I think there's some opportunity there for him now to assert himself in ways that might not have been there. Their roster is fully healthy, but it, it is. It's going to be interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to you know diving into it early next week, trying to figure out who fits where. You know, on the the very first race to the MVP uh, ladder on NBA.com. I'll be happy to tell you where you're wrong. Yeah, I, I know you will. You and Jerry Greenberg, by the way, should uh, have your own show where you you know can dissect the MVP ladder every week. I, I appreciate your texts every week to ask me you know why this guy that guy is not higher or why is this guy on the list at all. So much appreciated. We'll be back Monday here on the Hangtime Podcast to uh, check out the NBA.com power rankings by one John Schumann and uh, kind of dissect the weekend's action and see what comes of uh, Steph's trip to Madison Square Garden. I hope he goes for 50-some again just to keep the weekend buzzing and keep everybody fired up. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast for a new episode every monday and thursday all season long thanks again to our man anthony slater leave a review tell everybody how much you enjoyed listening to him here on the hang time podcast and we'll see you right here next time on the hang time podcast